The story of the church's relationship with Hollywood is long, complicated, and even a little melodramatic. This is my church! The Bible, of course, is terrific, but for millions of people, pictures will be their reference point for the story. While faith is a difficult concept to nail down visually, the impact of faith is not. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Peck. This is episode number 274. Available to stream right now on Faith Life TV is Real Redemption, a documentary that charts the highs and lows, successes and controversies of the faith-based film in which movies as varied as Ben-Hur and God's Not Dead resides. Joining me now to talk about Real Redemption is the film's director, Tyler Smith. Tyler, I thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. So I was saying to you off air just there before, I'm a Catholic, also a film critic, and um, I often make it a point to watch movies from a faith-based or Christian perspective, you know, faith-based movies or classic religious uh, biblical films. Um, so when you reached out with um, in regards to your movie, Real Redemption, I was really pleasantly surprised while watching that how much your film spoke to me about my own feelings in regards to faith-based movies. Um, a lot of the points that you make are re- really spot on in my own approach to these types of films. Um, so, Tyler, can you talk to me about the reasons you made Real Redemption? Yeah, um, I mean, I've been a film critic for 13 years at this point, uh, starting with the uh, podcast Battleship Pretension. And then uh, in 2009, I started uh, my own called More Than One Lesson, which was film discussion from a Christian perspective. And that that happened to coincide uh, by purely by coincidence with um, the release of the movie Fireproof, which yeah. came out the previous year. Uh, and that really got a lot of people's attention because it was not a it was not a, a revelation uh, situation. It wasn't an end times movie like Left Behind or The Omega Code or anything like that. It was more domestic, and it did surprisingly well, and it got a lot of people's attention. Uh, and then it it probably in 2014 with God's Not Dead, but also Miracles from Heaven and Heaven is for Real, uh, not to mention uh, studios trying to get on the action with Exodus, Gods and Kings, and Noah. Uh, that was the year that it probably really blew up. Um, and I became really uh, just interested in these films, uh, I mostly don't like them, and uh, occasionally I detest them, uh, which sounds mean, but uh, it's one of those things where, as a, as a film fan, but then also as a Christian, I, I often find these movies wanting. Um, and then uh, in 2016, I actually went back to school and got my master's degree from UCLA, and one of the uh, one of the instructors uh, when they during the introduction they asked like uh, this incoming students like you know do you have any questions for us and one of the things that I that really got me was like you know it, it was 2016 what is there left to write about uh, in the world of academia and so that's what I asked and I said is there anything that anyone's not talking about and at the time they didn't really have an answer but I did have a professor tell me later. He said, oh, faith-based film, nobody's talking about it because nobody, no academic takes it seriously, which again, somewhat understandable given that these, these movies are not very good. Um, and so I thought like, okay, well, that's – I mean that's, that's my whole uh, 
field, not completely because I watch, you know, regular movies as well. But uh, so I wrote a, an essay exploring Christian film as an emerging genre. And the essay was well received. And I started to think like, yeah, what if what if I were to try to rather than simply turn the essay into a book that won't be read. I w- maybe I could turn it into a film that won't be seen. Um, and, and so I pitched it to faith life who had a, I had a good relationship with, and I had some spare time on my hands and, uh, thought like this might be an opportunity, not just to get maybe Christian film viewers to have a deeper understanding of what film has been and what it can be in a larger sense, but also maybe getting non-Christian film critics to reevaluate Christian film, not not based on what it is, because what it is is mostly bad, mm-hmm. but what it could be. Yeah. And because when it comes right down to it, even if I don't like these movies, these are filmmakers with a point of view using an artistic medium to try to express that point of view. And even if, uh, again, even if I don't think it's very good, that deserves to be uh evaluated and that deserves to be uh, critiqued. And so it was sort of a, an attempt to get both sides uh, seeing the the potential and, and having a slightly deeper discussion than simply saying, oh, these movies suck um, or these movies are amazing and you should never criticize them. Like I, I wanted something a little bit more nuanced than that. When we talk about the term faith-based film in, in regards to how you were just then in regards to you not being a fan of them, are we speaking specifically to the industry that has been come to light in the last 10 years or so? Are we talking about religious films as a whole? I would, I, I, I'd say the industry. Um, you know, movies that have, that are made, regardless of what they may say, they're made primarily for a Christian audience, mm-hmm. made by a Christian filmmaker, backed by Christian money. Um and usually by a smaller studio uh, that is also a uh, Christian. And so, yeah, I'm not talking about the films of Martin Scorsese or uh, Chariots of Fire or anything like that. Uh, movies that certainly have spiritual themes to them, but they are made with a different, perhaps with a different goal in mind, as opposed to trying to reach a very specific audience and then knowing, frankly, all the ways to do that. So I'm talking mostly about the industry. The great thing about Real Redemption really delves into the history of, of the, the, cl- the clash between religion and film. Um, it really speaks to how religion and art have always been intertwined. Um, I mean, a lot of religion has to do with iconography and, and that is expressed mm-hmm. through, through the visual. Um, so when this new art form called filmmaking came about, it was only natural, of course, for religious stories, especially those based on scripture, to be adapted to the screen. And... Um, I myself am of the mind that there's a period of filmmaking in regards to these religious stories between the 1930s to the very early 1960s, you know, the films where Passion of Joan of Arc, Ten Commandments, etc., where these films came from. To me, mm-hmm. that period right there still stands as the best period for religious movies. Would you agree with that? Oh, uh, hmm. hang on now. I was about to say yes, but I, I need to think a little bit more. Um, I'm inclined to say yes because you had a studio, you know, you would have studios making these films with the full force of that studio behind it, not just the money, but also bringing in A-list talent, uh, both behind and in front of the camera and just really committing to it. 
and so you get movies like Ben Hur, which a lot of you know a lot of film people when they look back, uh, they they say the movie's not that great. And yeah, it's not my favorite, but at the same time, it is a wonderful spectacle. Mm. And I think on a technical level, it really can't be matched. And you know, so films like that uh, really do it do it very well. Um, but at the same time, I do think that cer- certainly within Hollywood, there were certain limitations uh, within the the Hayes Code that maybe that maybe kept these films from engaging spiritually with their material on the level that maybe could have been most uh, effective. And so for me, the idea of the Hayes Code going away and, and being replaced with uh, film ratings, again, I'm speaking solely about Hollywood here, but um, I think the type of, of movies, not necessarily faith-based movies, but like movies with spiritual themes, the ones that I tend to like the most are the ones that explore not necessarily the darker side, but the more complicated side. You know, I'm a Christian, uh, as are you, and you know, you have moments of doubt. You have moments where you question the the goodness of God when you look at the world around you. And it's not to suggest that you get to a point where you reject it, but you ask you ask those questions. And then there are other times when you feel maybe very much alone in a time of loss or stress or whatever it is. And you know, and and people could call those doubts, I suppose, uh, but it's more just like really wrestling with God to you know go with a biblical concept. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's not something that you would see a lot during the classic era of filmmaking, partially because there was the Hayes Code in place, and you didn't want to come too close to criticizing religion; otherwise, you could get a little bit in trouble. And so, even though uh, the you know religious themed films. There were more of them, and they're incredibly well made. I think thematically, the ones that I tend to favor are the ones that came about after that period. Considering that time period, um, so we're talking golden age of Hollywood. A lot of those kind of films that came out then, a lot of people look, historians look back and say the films of that time are some of the greatest films ever made. It's also these films also made during a time like you said, a time of lot of restriction. You also had the Catholic Catholic Legion of Decency in there as well. Um, the, mm-hmm. the church had a lot of control in regards to. Uh, dictating what can or cannot be said uh, in regards to religion and, and the church and etc. So I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. Um, considering the high quality of product during that time, do you still do you think that maybe perhaps such strict guidelines benefited the filmmaking process, or do you think it's just a thing where those were good movies for that time, but having that type of restriction these days would lead to what we see now in the more pure flicks kind of model of filmmaking? I think that's a really good question because in a way it could be argued that the great movies we have now wouldn't be possible without the films of that period, including the restrictions, you know, uh, when you, when you, when you hold people back and then eventually let them go, uh, one could argue that they attempt to overcorrect, but also they, they maybe revel in that freedom a little bit more and can do more having been limited in the past uh, than if they had just uh, been unfettered the whole time. So I think that's a really interesting question. And uh, I adore classic film. Uh, Many of my favorite movies are from that era. So I certainly, uh, when I talk about a more modern sensibility, 
I don't mean to suggest that modern films are better. There are people that will look at older films and look at the acting style and look at, uh, you know, maybe the, the music that's a little bit over the top at yeah. times and they just say, oh, well, that's not, that's just a, di- it's, it's different and maybe even a little bit worse and they can't let themselves go as they watch them. And that's never really been the case for me. I'm, I'm able to, uh, have the emotion that I think that the filmmaker is intending regardless of when they, when they made it. Um, but I do think that film in general just, just benefited. I think we got to a point, certainly in the United States, we got to a point where, where that those restrictions just weren't going to cut it as far as trying to reflect the real world. And, you know, if you're going to make movies about assassination or poverty or drug use or any of these or, or war, uh, but you, you can't incorporate actual imagery or profanity or violence or gore or even sexuality. If you can't incorporate that, then you're, you're only going to be able to go so far in your depiction uh, of that. Um, I'm a firm believer that that if you want to make a movie that's anti-violence, you should be you should probably be more violent in the actual mm-hmm. depiction, you know. Whereas if you if you hold back, then there's always the chance that it will seem um, a little uh, almost like a tease, which will actually intrigue people more about violence as opposed to uh, condemning it. You talked about there was that period, especially in Western society, where we couldn't just adhere to the same restrictions we had before. Of course, that comes down to the 60s. Um, and mm-hmm. to me, there's two fronts here from that decade. Number one, you had the cult- countercultural uh, revolution. Um, it really challenged like traditional institutions, especially the church. And then on the other hand, you have the arrival of new technologies like the TV. Um, so I once listened to this interview with um, William Lane Craig, the uh, Christian apologist. Um, oh, yeah. And he was asked a question about... Um, you know, low church attendance and rise of secularism, etc. And he said that, in his opinion, one of the biggest impact was the Vietnam War, especially the Vietnam War being shown on TV. All of a sudden, there's some transparency there about what war looked like. There were wars beforehand. You had the Korean War, you had World War Two, But a lot, of that, a lot of that stuff was kind of filtered through the media. Um, Vietnam War, that was like direct, went direct right from the battlefield into people's living rooms. Um how much effect do you think, I mean, if, if we take in William Lane Craig's opinion here uh, to heart, how much effect do you think that had in regards to not only the public in regards to their um, how they saw their traditional institutions such as government and church, but also to prospective filmmakers? Because after this, you have people like Scorsese and Coppola. They grew up during this time. How much of an effect do you think that had in regards to these filmmakers in regards to what they want, the stories they wanted to tell, and how they wanted to tell it? I think being able to see something makes a huge difference, uh, positively or negatively. You know, uh, There's that classic uh, concept, uh, concept that uh, during the 1960 presidential election, there was a debate between John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon, yeah. and everybody said that if, that when you listen to it on the radio, it absolutely sounded like Nixon won. But when you watched it on TV, Nixon was not feeling particularly well. See, he was like sweating, mm. and then Kennedy was self-assured and a good-looking guy. But this, but on substance, Nixon won. But when you can see the difference uh, in these guys, the question is, well, which one do I want to be looking at for the next four to eight years? And so I think 
you know, being able to see something uh, can make a huge difference. Here in the United States right now, there are a lot of protests going on because people have been well aware of police brutality uh, for a long time. Uh, but if it had not been for, for example, the footage of the Rodney King uh, beating in the early 90s and now the literal, I mean, you can see the death of, of George Floyd. Yeah. If it weren't for that, um, people would still be angry, but I don't think it would have come to the head that it did. Like, because being able to use your imagination is uh, is perfectly fine but when you're when you're trying to imagine the cold hard reality of what things are being able to actually see it i think makes a huge difference and so i think that's true of vietnam that's true of various politicians that were uh, that were in office in the 1960s and i think it was just true of of everything like you just saw everything on the news whether it be something like woodstock or vietnam and you just and I think you get directors like a Scorsese and a Coppola and a William Friedkin who grew up loving movies. You know, you look at these guys and what did you know, what's Coppola best known for? He's best known for essentially a gangster movie, but made with a completely different sensibility. Mm. And then Scorsese, his whole career um, occasionally will either remake a movie like um, Cape Fear or he will do sort of a stylistic throwback like you see in Shutter Island or um, – oh, man, I had the other one in my mind. Oh, well. Uh, and so you know, these are guys that, that love old Hollywood, but they also – I think when you get movies like Taxi Driver or Apocalypse Now or Raging Bull, um, I think you, you get them with this feeling of like, well, we can't – we may love these older movies, but we can't make those and – in that way and and still expect to have the impact that we want to have, not when people are seeing grisly images on their TV every day. Uh, and so I do think I would agree that the, the role of TV on every possible level you can think of changed film. Uh, I mean, it, whether it be film feeling like it needed to compete with TV, but also just the type of thing that people became, became accustomed to see uh, to seeing on TV, like it just, it cannot be stated enough how huge of a role TV had in changing film in the 1960s. So you and I are Christians, we're also film critics and film fans. Um, so this question is geared towards what should be our approach when we watch content that could be deemed unchristian or blasphemous. So as your documentary shown, Post the 16s, filmmakers are much more emboldened to criticize religion in their films, yeah? Um, and two of the most controversial films to do this was uh, Monty Python's Life of Brian and Martin mm -hmm. Scorsese's Last Temptation of, Christ, Temptation of Christ. And a lot of people, I think, even to this day, do not remember just how much of a big impact that had. I mean, you showed in your documentary just some of the reaction to The Last Temptation of Christ with the protests and everything. I think in France was even a cinema, was a, was even, was an explosion in the cinema over there as well. It was like a real big kind of real big issue at the time. Um, so both films were charged with blasphemy, and you can understand that from the church's point of view. But you and I, as both film fans and Christians, how do you think we should react to movies like that? Because in my opinion, I actually quite like both films. I think both films have important things to say in regards to religion, in regards to uh, the um, uh, the way that Christ is presented in, through iconography. Um, also, there has all sorts of different things in these movies that I think we can really latch onto and we can learn from and we can appreciate. 
but at the same time we can understand where the church is coming from as well do you think you and i as film fans as film as christians should bring our religion first into there or should we have only our eyes the eyes of film critics when watching films like this I think I don't think it has to be an either or. I think the more we embrace our beliefs, the more it could uh, illuminate certain uh, perspectives on film. And the more we try to take a film uh, on its intentions, I think the the more we will have an understanding of it as Christians. You know, um, yeah. In the film, I don't. I actually. I was. I was thinking of incorporating a section on satire. So that would include life of Brian and, um, dogma. Yeah. Uh, but in the end I was like, ah, this thing's getting a little bit long and, and I do have some satire later on with the Simpsons and Saturday night live. So, um, so I left it out, but, um, but yeah, I feel like certainly last temptation of Christ is a film that really touches me, uh, every time I watch it. And I also enjoy life of Brian. And I think it's one of those things that like, I mean, I, I understand, you know, we, my, my faith is important to me. It is a, a big, not merely a big part of my life, but it's like this all encompassing part of my life that touches every other aspect, yes. whether it be my marriage or my, my career, whatever it is. And so, you know, when you have somebody who is dismissive of that, that can be a little bit hurtful and that can be frustrating. However, just because somebody is trying to examine this from a different perspective, even a comedic perspective, that doesn't mean they're dismissing it. I actually think that Life of Brian is a very thoughtful view of not not necessarily Christianity, but the mob mentality that can come not just with religion, but with any, any cause. Yes. And people just find something that they can imprint their beliefs upon and they, uh, or project their beliefs, uh, beliefs upon. And then they just follow that thing. And then eventually if that thing winds up disappointing them, then they just turn on that and find the next thing, mm -hmm. you know, that like they're using Christian imagery, but at the same time, they're using it to make a point that's even bigger than that. And then last temptation of Christ, you know, a lot of people just don't like the idea that you're portraying Jesus in a slightly, not maybe not even slightly, but in a different way than what they are accustomed to. And even though both the book and the movie does it like really as thoroughly as they can try to say we are approaching this as though he were simply a character. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not based on the Bible. This is our attempt to think abstractly and engage with with Jesus in a deeper way. And. You know, I I am willing to go along with that, as are you, because you and I value film as an art form. But I can't tell you how many times, you know, along with being a, a Christian, I'm I'm politically fairly conservative, and so that tends not to really line up with uh, my film criticism. Because when I uh, I've written, uh, I wrote a, a handful of articles for the Daily Wire, which is Ben Shapiro's website, yep. and. The comments on my, I mean, it's astonishing. I wasn't surprised, but it was astonishing how many uh, people just say like movies are meant to entertain and this movie or that movie was just preachy. And it's like, yeah, hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love a good entertaining movie. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, to simply say that movies are only meant for this thing, if that's your attitude, then yeah, a film that is thoughtfully trying to examine the, the more human elements of Christ, well, yeah, of course that's going to be offensive. Like, because 
you weren't expecting it and you wanted a movie that's just going to make you feel good or make you happy or make you laugh or whatever it is. And again, there's nothing wrong with movies that do that. But if you if you look at film as a disposable uh, way to pass the time, then anything that is trying to do something a little bit different is going to be viewed with suspicion. Whereas if you look at it like a genuinely effective art form, the way you and I do, then immediately you are able to say like, okay, well, maybe I don't agree with what this director is doing, but Hey, uh, I, I appreciate what they, I appreciate that they are doing it. Um, and so I do think that it's, it can be a little frustrating, uh, when, when Christians are, are, are really unwilling to hear uh, a point of view because it's that idea of like, not in my backyard, which is yes. Oh, sure. A film can, criticize this or it can examine that, but just make sure you, you know, just keep your hands off of my beliefs and we'll all be happy. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I think is very frustrating. And I think that's a frustration that could be shared with a lot of Christian filmmakers. I remember a couple of years ago, I was um, interviewing a director. He had a faith-based movie that had just come out. It was a different kind of faith-based movie. However, it had some violence, it had some swearing in it. And he told me, that um, just the fact that once in a while in the script, like a few f bombs were dropped, the movie was pretty much, you know, dis dis out. Um, um, I'm sorry, disowned uh, by people um, in uh, different uh, churches and different parishes because as faith based movie in their eyes had to reach had to be seen in a certain way and be made in a certain way. So I think a lot of faith based filmmakers feel the same way. Have you come across that as well? I have. Yes. Um, you know, I, every year I go to the international Christian film festival and I usually ha- give a talk there, but then I also have my table set up with my podcast stuff and selling books and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoy the conversations that I have there because, uh, you, you come to realize that there are audiences and actors and writers and directors that are really wanting to make movies that are, more reflective of the world that we live in partially so that they can better speak to those specific issues. Um, but there are certainly audience members who just do not want that. They are, uh, turning to Christian film for escapism. They said like, Oh, I don't, you know, I've seen people say like, I have to listen to this kind of language, you know, at work. I don't want to listen to it in my, in my film. Mm -hmm. And again, like that speaks to this idea of, Okay, film is purely a way to get away from uh, the the stresses of life, which I can understand. Um, but then there's also the money people, the the producers. They see that that attitude in the audience, which I don't know if I'd say it's a it's it's not a minority attitude. I think the bulk of of Christian audiences when they go to see a faith based film, I think they actually do want something that's family friendly, which I'll get to in a moment because it's, uh, it's frustrating. Yeah. Um, so they look at that and I think they're, they're nervous, uh, that they don't, you know, cause any money at this point, it's not a situation where like a, a major film studio can afford to have one or two bombs a year. Like some of these Christian studios, if they have one bomb, that's it. They're, they're done as a studio, you know, they're not, uh, these big things. And so I understand why they would want to, they wouldn't want to take the risk. Um, but I think at some point there need, there needs to be a film or maybe a faith-based TV show or something that takes that risk and the audience 
I think it it does ultimately come back come down to the audience. Like if the audience is willing to go along with the filmmaker and recognize that yes, they are trying to do something here uh, that is reflective of a fallen world, then you know unless they're unless a bulk of Krishna movie watchers are willing to do that, then I I don't think Christian film is ever really going to evolve. It might evolve stylistically. The scripts might get better and that's all well and good, but it will only reach a certain point, I think of, of quality. Well, a movie that, that tried to evolve it a bit and was a big, big hit because of it was the passion of the Christ. And that was a film that had everything going against it. It was an R rating due to the violence. And I mean, in like Roger Ebert had said in, in your documentary, it should have really been an NC-17 film. It was really kind of quite hardcore violence there. Um, it was in a different language. Um, there was the accusations of anti-Semitism towards its filmmaker and towards the film. Um, but it still was a huge box office movie. Now, if we just put into a time period of, say, the last Temptation of Christ to Passion of the Christ, there's like 16 years have passed there. In that time, I'm sure there would have been other religious-themed um, movies released at that time, but The Passion of the Christ was a film that really struck gold there. Tyler, what do you think was about that movie that really kind of reached out to people? Um, I think in your in your documentary, you, you said something in the vein of um, there was a first in the audience for that film. Why, why that film as opposed to other ones during that time period? I think because it had... And for the record, I'm not a big fan of that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I just uh, it, it's it's perfectly well made, as Mel Gibson movies always are. Um, but as someone like I felt I really didn't know the character of Jesus, you know, and I do recognize that he's not purely a character, but this is still a movie and I still need more than what Mel Gibson was giving me in that film. But anyway, um, it's not Jim Caviezel's fault. I think he did a great job, but I just didn't really felt like I didn't really feel like I knew him. He was kind of enigmatic. But anyway. Um, but I do think everything about the film had this air of legitimacy. Um, the fact that it was in Aramaic, the fact that it was not going to pull any punches as far as its violence. And, and it was made by, uh, an Oscar winning director who also was a movie star. And, you know, from a publicity standpoint, uh, the, the studio real uh, Gibson in the studio really played up the idea that no one wanted to pay for this because they didn't want to make a movie like this. And that really plays into, uh, American Christianity's, uh, feeling of being oppressed. Um, and this idea that, Oh, no one paid for it. Well, don't worry. We're going to support you. Um, and that's a, a little bit cynical on my part. I think also, yeah, I think it was just, for so long you had Christian audiences feel like Hollywood had nothing for them. Um, and so then there's something like this, which would, uh, which would somehow is, is both Hollywood and not Hollywood. It's Hollywood. And then it's Mel Gibson and there are, you know, notable actors in it. It's got a, a, a nice budget and all that. So it's Hollywood in that sense, but not Hollywood because of the content and the fact that Hollywood sort of seemed to reject it. And so that allowed, I think, Christian audiences to give themselves permission to go see this. It's the only kind of violence. Well, that's not true. It, violence tends not to be that big of a deal for for a Christian audience, unless it's like horror based. But if it's war, um, then they'll usually say stuff like, "Well, that's probably how it was." You know, a lot of them went to see Hacksaw Ridge, which admittedly does have a bit of a spiritual aspect to it, but that's a hard R as well. Um, and so, I think uh, I think the film. 
it in many ways, despite the fact that it was it was pretty gruesome, I think it it was a nice throwback in the views in the view of some Christian audience members. It was a throwback to that time in the fifties and those biblical epics where the story of Jesus was like an actual story that could be told on film without any kind of angle. Like I think they probably saw Last Temptation of Christ is like, oh, this is how Hollywood makes Jesus movies now. There has to be some kind of twist or angle that maybe undercuts who Jesus was. Um, whereas this was a very straightforward uh, adaptation. And uh, and so I think I think it it met yeah, I guess I that's that's what I said in the in the documentary. Like it it played into what they, what Christian audiences had wanted, even if they weren't really aware that that's what they wanted. So post Passion of the Christ, there you have the faith-based film industry pretty much coming together. Interestingly, like you said about the Passion, that was very much in the mold of the classic biblical epic. Movies that came after that that were successful, smaller films. Of course, a lot of that comes from they are independently produced, but these smaller films were very much kind of like about interpersonal relationships with God, like small films like that. Um, and they were popular, and you and I both agreed a lot of these films aren't the best. Um, I got a bit of a theory, though, as to why they are very popular. Um, if you could just in- indulge me here. So around, around this time was the time of the rise of the new atheists. Um, so in, in particular, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchin, who was featured in your documentary in, 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 um, in archive footage, um, talking about the passion a few times there. Um, who else is there? Um, uh, I think it's um, Sam Harris. Sam Harris. Is it Daniel Dennett as well? Is it Daniel Dennett, yeah. Um, so all of these guys. So you had this happening there. And it was interesting to me as while these things were happening, the faith-based movie industry was really starting to take bring out a lot of product. A lot of people were watching these films. Do you think some of the success of these small independent faith-based movies was a bit of a protest uh, towards this new kind of atheism that at the time was really engulfing the mainstream? Uh, I think it was a response to that and and other other things. I think the perceived secularization of the United States. Um, again, I'm going to emphasize perceived, but uh, you know George W. Bush, uh, who was elected in 2000, mm-hmm. uh, and was you know open about his his faith in a way that uh, that some uh, some uh, presidents had not been. Um, and so I think a lot of Christians felt like, okay, one of us is in the white house. Um, and he, he supported like all of the causes that, that most Christians do. Um, but then, uh, when Barack Obama was elected, I mean, there were, of course, there were rumors that he was a secret Muslim and it's like, I don't think, I don't think Muslims are secret about their beliefs. In fact, I don't think most, I think most people aren't. Um, but anyway, uh, that he was so there are those conspiracy theories and then and even though he was a professed Christian you know they they saw that he tended to favor you know not tended I mean he was a, a liberal politician so of course he favored left wing causes which Christians viewed as being as running counter to like the true and traditional Christian uh, stance and so I think they saw that and then they saw uh, shows like Family Guy that would openly mock, uh, you know, openly mock and dismiss Christianity. And then you had, uh, the, the new atheists, and then you had people like Ricky Gervais speaking out about it. And so the idea of, of atheism, um, being sort of on the rise or at the very least like an anti-Christian sentiment in the U S the, the, 
the perception of that as being on the rise uh, was definitely ever present. And so that is, I think that could be uh, one of the reasons for the rise of, of Christian film, the, the rise of faith, the faith-based film industry, because it's this idea of, well, we'll show them. We're not going to see their their trash Hollywood movies. We're going to make our own, and we're going to support them. And to me, like the the essence of that, more so than stuff like Fireproof or Courageous or War Room or the other like Kendrick Brothers movies, um, God's not dead. Like if you want to, if you really want to sense, one of the reasons that I really dislike that movie and actually cite it as the worst movie of the 2010s is that it pander. Like if you want a sense of what like the the religious right in the US which i te- which i guess technically i'm a part of but as a movement as a lar- as a collective what the religious right you know the the concerns that they had about america if you want a really good snapshot of that just watch god's not dead because mm-hmm. that movie covers pretty much everything you know the the idea of being singled out in academia and the idea of uh, a, a a young woman who is who's actually Muslim, but she's a secret Christian, but her father is abusive and all that. Um, and the idea of a corporate, uh, corporate businessman who is just greedy and just these, these various pictures of non Christianity are so cartoonish and so outlandish, but so oppressive that, uh, that you get a pretty good sense of the way, like a lot of, of Christians viewed where the U S was headed. And, uh, so yeah, I think it played, I think your theory is, is dead on, um, and part of a larger, actually part of a larger rebellion against uh, secular culture. So we have this secular culture now, um, much more, much less religious. I mean, census numbers, both here in Australia and other places in Western country have seen the rise of non-believers in censuses rising while Christian belief in Christian, in Judeo-Christian beliefs going down. Um, and then from that, you have a void. And the, a, lot, a theory that a lot of people have, myself included, is that once you have this void where people no longer believe in the God and no longer adhere to a religion, they have to fill that void with something. And, some, and I think a lot of that is filled with pop culture. A lot of people see pop culture as sort of like a, a mix of not only entertainment, but politics and activism in a sort of kind of like quasi-spiritualism as well. I don't know what it's like in the, in the States, but here in Australia, regard, regard to census numbers, a lot of people here actually identif- identify themselves as Jedi, um, which is just absurd. <laughs> but it's kind of like it's cheeky but serious at the same time. And, and um, but you, you have that going on as well. In the context of what we're talking about here, of the the classic biblical epic, in my opinion, the superhero movie has really taken has filled that void right there. And I can kind of see where how it does so because when you look at the Superman the Superman story, it's pretty much the Moses story, isn't it? I mean, do you think as well that the superhero movie has pretty much become the new biblical film? Yeah. Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think, I mean, I I would say it's the new biblical epic, but I think it's the new everything. I mean, it's granted you have movies like star Wars and avatar and that sort of thing, but even the star Wars movies, uh, in their sensibility started to take on aspects of, of superhero movies. I mean, the, the rise of Skywalker, which is not a good movie. Um, but the moment, like it's, it's climactic showdown between the hero and villain, uh, and the idea of the villain says one thing and then the hero says another thing and then does this big gesture. It's like, that's very Avengers Endgame. 
Um, and so you can actually see not to, to say nothing of the idea of the shared universe. You know, that's something that studios, the minute Marvel started doing and they started seeing like some real, um, some real profit as a result, uh, you started to see like, okay, well, DC is going to do it. That goes without saying, but you had like universal trying to do it with their monsters. Uh, there is going to be a ghostbusters shared universe. The conjuring has done it pretty well actually. Um, but a lot of these things sputter out before they even really get started. And so, um, yeah, I think the superhero movie, Partially in my in my view, yeah, you mentioned that Superman is kind of a Moses thing and certainly uh, in the hands of Zack Snyder uh, has taken on more than a little bit of a uh, uh, Christ analogy as well in a way that's a little bit ham fisted in my opinion. But um, yeah, I mean, that's the that's the neat thing about any genre movie, whether it be horror or superhero or science fiction or whatever, is it it often deals in. Ex, you know, extreme heightened injury, but at its core, it is, it is, it, it can, it has the opportunity to explore deeper truths that, uh, that people may have accepted, uh, for, for generations, if not, uh, you know, centuries. And so the, I, I did an episode of more than one lesson many years ago when, when Iron Man came out saying that at its, at that core you have the story of Saul and his conversion into Paul you know this person who's doing things very much the wrong way doing things for himself uh, and then having this moment uh, of being laid low and then deciding oh I, I need to do things differently now and that's something that you'll and this this concept of like being humbled so that you can rise back up and obviously self-sacrifice being an important part of it um, and yeah, I, I do think that uh, while I'm not sure if I would say that superhero movies are the new biblical epic, certainly the 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 these fantasy movies, which I guess is kind of what superhero movies are in a way, um, you know, fantasy movies and genre fiction, these big special effects uh, epics, those definitely. Uh, have taken on uh, a, a much deeper quality for a lot of people than they probably would have previously. Final question here. Um, we've you've you, in your movie Real Redemption, you showed us the history of the the, the the biblical film, the present day of the faith-based movie. What comes in the future in regards to religious movies? Does it come down to maybe not being in a movie at all? Does it come down to being TV shows? We've seen in the last, say, five, six years, shows like the Bible and the Bible AD, uh, these what will classically be called biblical films actually going doing very well on TV. Do you think TV is where these um, stories will, will live now? I think, I think it can. Uh, certainly, there's a guy named uh, Dallas Jenkins, uh, who I uh, have crossed paths with at, uh, at a film festival, and he has a show called The Chosen, which uh, I yeah. still sadly have not seen, but I've Maybe heard about. very good things about. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I mean, t- I mean, everything can live in everything, uh, everything else, you know? So, uh, certainly TV does provide the, the filmmaker with the opportunity to really explore and expand a world. You know, um, it's one of the reasons that I like the concept of the walking dead. Uh, the show by and large is not very good. It has its moments, 
but um, or at least I don't think it's very good. But the idea of just characters trudging along day after day, week after week, occasionally having to, you know, fight these zombies, having to fight other people and just surviving. You know, you can show that in a two hour movie, but you're really not going to get the sense that like, man, this just doesn't stop. Um, whereas in a TV show, you can have that qual that that aspect of it. <clears throat> so I think TV can allow you a certain degree of freedom. And so if you were to have a, a, a TV show that show that wasn't even necessarily, uh, you know, um, like a period uh, situation, you know, taking place in in like biblical times. You could just have uh, a character or a family that is Christian and just see their evolution over time and really explore Christian culture, like what their church looks like, what what it looks like to try to live out their values. I think that would be very interesting. Um, and then – but as far as movies, certainly – I think Christian film is still emerging as a genre, and within that, you're actually finding uh, subgenres as well. You're finding the, uh, you know, sick kid is miraculously healed subgenre with miracles from heaven, heaven is for real, breakthrough. Uh, you're finding the the musical biopic genre with I can only imagine and I still believe. So you're finding these these films that that definitely. One will do well, and certainly, just like in the regular film industry, uh, other Christian studios are eager to try to to mimic that. So I think that's what we'll definitely see in the future is things that are based on a true story, um, based on a book, uh, something that, that the audience has a connection with already and may be able to uh, piggyback on that. And I think you also will start to see these films – get a little bit higher budgets, maybe bring in a, a higher class of actor and you get stuff like breakthrough, which is not a, um, not a great movie, but it definitely is operating at a higher level than a lot of these films. And I think, I think just by just through exposure, I think uh, to, to Christian film, I think you'll get an audience that is, that becomes eager for a higher level of quality, even if they're not consciously aware that that's what they want. And so I think probably within the next five or 10 years, you'll start to see faith-based movies that are genuinely pretty good on an artistic level, on a narrative level. And, uh, that, you know, that might be wishful thinking on my part. There are, there are still so many Christian films made often at a low budget of just, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars and they do okay. And you watch them and they are just astonishingly bad. Mm. Um, and so, but they're still available on like pure flicks or some other streaming service. Um, and then I'm, I'm on Facebook. I'm part of a, various groups that have to do with Christian film and just the number of people who will, you know, talk about a Christian film that I personally think is terrible. And they say, wow, this really affected me. It's like, okay, well, I mean, I guess I can't argue with, with the film affecting you, but it definitely, uh, did not affect me. Um, and I think they can be better. And I think hopeful, I, th I, I hope maybe more than I think, but, uh, I think they will get better slowly, but surely, but it could be a ways off. So for everyone listening out there, Real Redemption, that's R-E-E-L Redemption, available to stream now at faithlifetv.com. Uh, this is a streaming website, is it Tylo, um, where you can get a lot of kind of like movies and shows from a Christian perspective? 
Yeah, and and it's actually um, they do have movies, they have TV shows, but they also have a lot of really good uh, documentaries um, that really operate on sort of an apologetics level. So um, it's it can actually be a really good resource for for people that are for like Christians that are a little bit more academically minded. Um, I actually do have a nine part series on there called Faith and Filmmaking, mm-hmm. in which I I break down uh, different aspects. I do have like the the first two episodes I think are devoted to like the history of film, but I also talk about the genre and the auteur theory. I interview a few people. Um, and so that's available on there as well, but uh, certainly real redemption is, uh, I stand by that a little bit more. So for everyone out there, please go to faithlifetv.com. There's currently a 14 days free trial and then only $5 a month after that, which is actually a really good uh, price right there. So make sure you check out Real Redemption. And Tyler Smith, I thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm a big fan of your film. Um, It was great to talk to you. It's great to talk to another fellow film critic and Christian (laughs) um, because there's not many of us out there that do both. Um, So I do thank you for your time today and congratulations with the movie. Thank you very much.